Welcome to Students Over Systems, a podcast that celebrates education freedom. I'm your host, Jenny Gentles. On Students Over Systems, we talk with the creators, advocates, and beneficiaries of education freedom. Throughout 2023, we focused on school choice history. This year, we're going to focus on implementation and dig into how education freedom programs truly help families, students, and educators. On today's episode, we're kicking off 2024 with a discussion about how school choice, or education freedom, helps students with disabilities. For this important discussion, we're joined by Tara Myers. Tara has extensive experience working with individuals with disabilities and advocating for education freedom, both at the state and federal level. She's a mother of three children, as well as a grandmother. And her passion and commitment to ensuring that all students have access to an education that best meets their needs is an inspiration to me. Tara, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me, Jenny. Tara, you've said so many things that have been inspiring to me over the years, um, and you're always very clear in how you're communicating the importance of school choice and the importance of education freedom. Uh, You've said quality education should be available to all children, and if their current situation is not working, then options to choose another should be available. So tell me about your experience seeking a quality, quality education for your, your children. And I know it's a long, very emotional story. So uh, perhaps we can focus on the steps that you took uh, around your son, Samuel. Great. Thank you. Yeah, it, it was it was big. I just really wanted my children to go to school and, um, you know, be like everybody else. I had visions of the yellow bus and I say it all the time, the matching backpack and lunch pail and they were going to go off and I was going to volunteer uh, in the parent teacher organization. And it was just going to be great. And when it came time for Samuel, it wasn't great. Um, It was far less than that. The teachers were fabulous. Uh, They wanted to work with me, but the administration and the district and really the powers that be wanted to place him in another location. They looked at his disability instead of him as the individual. And um, he had extensive needs. He needed something different than what, say, my daughter needed. Um, I volunteered at the school. I tried to help them in any way that I could. And after four years, it, it was just, it was every day, all day. And um, I look back at it all the time and think, how in the world did we make it through that? And what keeps me going today is knowing that I did make it through and that there's other moms and dads and grandparents out there hoping and praying for an education for their child with special needs and not knowing where to go. And that's why I continue to fight. So with Samuel, after four years, I finally started making phone calls. I realized that there were options in educational choice for my daughters and for people with um, an unlimited amount of resources, but nobody wanted to do anything for these children um, like my son with multiple disabilities. Ohio had passed a law a couple years prior um, for kids with autism. But that left nothing for my son. And I started doing investigative work. You know, I felt like, wow, I shouldn't be doing this. But investigating and going, there's money, a lot of money every year going to the education of my son in the public system. And though I was a proponent of public school, they were not servicing him well. And when I talked to other people, I was like, wait a minute, we are the taxpayers. We are the funders of this education. We should have access and we should have input. And I kept getting told, go home and let us do what we do. I said, but what you're doing isn't working and it's not helping my son. And you're claiming that you're spending these dollars on him and you're not. So what is the solution? Their solution was, you know, Mrs. Myers, we have all the way until he graduates to teach him how to read. And that floored me. I thought he is at the time he was seven years old. 
And I said, so what are we going to do for the next 13 years? What are you going to do? And where's that money going? So it really opened the door. Um, I, I like to get along with people and, um, <clears throat> but I'm also a solution finder and problem solver. And they were not interested in my solutions and they were not interested in doing something different than what they had done. So I started testifying. I found out that there was actually a bill introduced in our state house. And I said, you know what? I got to do this. And then as it started getting momentum, I said, I'll do this, but it can't just be about my son because I saw the greater picture. Like I mentioned a, a minute ago, I saw that there were other moms and dads out there. And I thought, you know, I have the luxury of being able to stay home and forego, um, some luck, some things because I wanted to be home with my son and help him. What about the mom or dad or grandparent who can't? What about those that, that cannot fight? So I said, I will do this. I will fight for choice to, to encompass all these students. Um, but it has to be about other children too. So that's kind of the, the starting journey for us. And it lasted eight years before we were able to get that bill passed. And when we finally did, um, I won't, I won't answer more about that unless you ask me, but some great, amazing things happened. Well, I do want to hear about the great, amazing things. I think parents are so um, they're so frustrated and they're so angry and they're so hopeless in, in many ways when the system is not serving their child. And it might be that they have extreme special needs like Sam. They might have milder special needs like my daughter's. Um, or there might be other reasons that the system is failing the child. So um, let's focus on how we can uh, provide hope to these to these families. Um, once that scholarship program was passed in Ohio, and once these pro programs that serve students with special needs were passed in, in other states, what is your sense of how they've been able to help students who weren't being served by the traditional K-12 education system? Well, in our situation, I knew what would work. I had been working with Samuel from preschool, you know, birth, actually. Um, but I mean, educationally wise. And then when he got to school, I knew what was working, what wasn't working. And I really had to take ownership of that. I realized that the experts, the professionals didn't really understand my son or how he learned. Sadly, some of them tried um, and, and took, you know, extra courses, read books over the summer. But the reality of it was me, the parent knew better than anyone else. And I encourage parents, you know, your child, don't um, try to hide their deficits. In fact, exploit them and say, this is what we need to work on. This is where we're struggling because that's when resources will be found. For us, when that bill got passed, I was so ecstatic. I thought, oh my gosh, we finally have our hands on the money. And then I realized there's no program in our county or any neighboring counties. I would have to drive him hours. And I thought, good golly, I just climbed this mountain and I'm at the bottom of another hill. And so, you know, um, all those years of working with him, I realized I had gained and actually written a program here at my house. Like I sat down and dreamed one day with a special needs teacher who was helping me from behind the scenes. She said, what would the perfect program look like if you could have that? And I had written it up and she and I had actually sampled it out in our basement with um, Sam's Special Olympic um, athlete friends. And they loved what we presented to them. So I went on the hunt and I found a, a school that was already involved in ed choice. And I said, would you partner? Would you do this? All you need to do is hire someone. I will gladly give this to you. So I tell you that because they did agree to partner. And for six years, I worked with the school and created a program. And that is how Samuel got his education. Because when I presented it to them, they ended up saying, your passion, your knowledge, we want to hire you. 
Now, I wasn't looking for a job, but I say that because I had never pondered that I would go and do that. And I say to other parents, do not be afraid to um, build the program. Do not be afraid to go around you. I hear so much from rural communities. Oh, we don't have options. So why should we be concerned with school choice? You need to be concerned because there are children in your community that need options and why not build it? You know that they always say the old adage, if you build it, they will come. And sometimes mom and dad and grandma and aunt and uncle have to build it. And it is amazing what can happen and what doors can open, not only for your child, but for so many children across your community. It's just unbelievable. Well, Tara, let's back up a little bit before we uh, explore that a little bit more, like building the the program or creating the option or expanding options um, for the child once you have that mechanism of the scholarship program or the education savings account in place in the state. Um, what about what about the parent who are just now hearing that there are these school choice programs or education freedoms programs and, and they have universal eligibility and they're realizing, oh, that's my child. This isn't just for low income students. This is for my child with disabilities. This is uh, for my my child who is being bullied and I want to get in, an, uh, in a different, safer environment. Um, when they hear kind of vaguely about school choice programs, it's generally in the context of some sort of fight, right? Like the governor of, of Arizona right now is right. is fighting um, the education savings account program or empowerment scholarship account program uh, in in the state. She really wants to to uh, limit it or kill it. I think um, they don't necessarily hear about it in the context of this is for you. Come on, like here's how to sign up. You know. So, what advice would you give to parents? who are listening, or even to school choice advocates who are listening on the implementation side of things. What do they do when they hear about these programs? They hear vaguely that their child might be eligible, but they're not sure how to access them um, or how to confirm eligibility. Well, interestingly enough, I was one of those parents who heard that there were options available, but because of the fear mongering that I heard, you know, oh, you're going to ruin public school or you're going to collapse our community. I um, regrettably applied for the scholarships for my daughters um, three years in a row and turned them down. And it was because I didn't have enough information. I couldn't imagine after all of the fighting that I had had experienced with my son, couldn't imagine that I, the parent, was actually going to be given the opportunity to choose where my child went to school. I regret that. And I wish that I would have taken advantage of things sooner because my daughter's world's completely changed for the better. Um, And so I encourage parents to gather as much information as possible to tune out that negativity because it is fear-mongering and usually to listen to see who is um, offering up that fear. Where is that coming from? And if the people are not focusing on the children, it's generally for personal interest um, that they're going for. Because anybody that is truly in education for the children will not be going that direction. You know, this isn't an us against them. This is we can have both and. We can have public education, private education, micro schools, charter schools, home schools, Uh, learning pods. We can do all of this because we're focusing on the children. In my case, because I have a child with special needs, I was also told, oh, you know, there's no way that a program, you know, the public school has the market on this. Well, sadly, I had experienced what they were marketing. And so choice um, 
again, I tell parents, ask questions, go check out those programs. You know, the easiest way to make sure that you're not getting more of the same is to just go and investigate. Um, I encourage those that are advocating to offer parent pop-ups. You know, Jenny, you and I have talked about this over and over, and most of us are involved in advocacy. But the follow through, the end piece is offer parent, go to your libraries, parents come, find out what this is all about. And parents do your due diligence in attending these things because information is power. And I think that that's really important. And I think that, you know, there's a lot, some voices are really, really loud in the negative force because they're, they're hoping and wanting to hold on to power. That's, that's been my deduction this entire 20 years that I've been involved in this is that the people that are screaming and crying the loudest want power. And those of us that want product and production from students generally can't access the loudest voice. But if you listen, you'll find it. And uh, that's the best thing I can recommend. Well, let's talk a little bit more about those voices, the fear mongering, the negativity and the desire for power. Who are those entities? Who, who are the primary opponents of school choice who are trying to shout out the, the hope and the reality that these parents now have options and these kids have opportunities to attend education uh, programs and schools that meet their needs? Who's the problem here? Well, sadly, I think it's the teachers unions. I think it's those that have garnered control within the public system, the schools. You know, if you look at, you know, if, if you start at the very classroom, you see the teachers are overworked, underpaid, overburdened with a lot of red tape, but they are they are paid the least um, as well as, you know, their aides and, and support staff. But if you follow that chain of money and who is actually pulling on the purse strings and pulling on the um the red tape and the propaganda goes back to the teachers unions. You know, I'm not exactly sure why we allowed them into our schools in the first place. And, you know, I hear from, I, I had a teacher, a public school teacher loan me the magazine that came out and sent me an email from that they received from their union. And I couldn't believe it. I thought, Oh my goodness, this is the most, this is the biggest propaganda I just, I was in shock and I thought this should be illegal <laughs> what they're telling. So again, we have a fear piece. I talked to a couple teachers who were like, oh, oh, we cannot support school choice. You know, I need to hold on to my negotiations, my, my vacation time and my retirement plan. I said, you know what? There are other groups out there that will support you. And also if you look back historically and look at when a teacher gets into trouble, usually they're standing there in the arena alone you know, because the union seems to be protecting um, anybody but the teachers. Not every time, but if you follow that, you'll see that they are, I, I rarely, when I hear them ranting on, I rarely hear them mention teachers or students. Never mm -hmm. mention families unless it's in a negative light. That's a problem. We mm -hmm. are their consumer. We are what gives them a job. So I find that to be very interesting and very telling as well. Um, not to, you know, to cross the board bash anybody, but when you look at education where it's gone wrong, that's my, that's my deduction. Well, this isn't something that you just have, uh, concerns about that you express privately that you and I chat about. I mean, we, we do chat about this because we're friends and we've worked <laughs> together, um, uh, to advocate for school choice for a number of years. Um, but you actually were featured in a documentary called, uh, Parents Fight Back. What was the primary message that you wanted to convey? I wanted to convey that um, it's parents are are sick and tired of this. We are tired of 
all of these non-academic pieces coming into the classroom and losing the actual educational integrity of our schools and who's actually propelling that. And if you, I, I went to a seminar where a mom had actually done a huge deep dive into where everything is coming from. And it is, it's, it's the public schools have been taken over by powers that, in my opinion, want to do more indoctrinating than they do educating. Parents are fed up with that. Um, we've got a whole, we've got a social crisis on our hands. You know, we've said it over and over. It's the the human rights issue of our time is making sure that our kids are being educated, educated well, and protecting their mental, um, you know, consciousness. I mean, the, the kids are on the edge because of so many things that are being put before them. And then if you look at some of the things that have come at students after the, during and after the pandemic, we've got, we've lost our course. Mm -hmm. So parents have had enough. They want their children educated. They want them educated well. They don't want pornography in school. They don't want, you know, curriculum that is divisive in school. Um, they don't want this racial fight that's being presented on a daily basis. Parents want a quality education and their children to be protected in the process. And um, I am thankful that my children are, are done with K-12 education and with college, but I fear for our students now. And I'm thankful for all the moms and dads that are out there waking up. And we're all complicit of it. Over the last 50 years, let's think about it. We all kind of thought we could trust what was going on. And that's when things go astray. Well, Tara, sometimes, honestly, it's a little bit intimidating to see all the things that you do. You fought for this program in Ohio years ago. You fought for the creation of a program at a local school for your son. You've spoken at a White House roundtable. You've spoken at the Republican National Convention. Um, you and I have walked the halls of Congress together advocating for, for school choice at the, at the federal level. For mothers of young children who are still in the trenches, especially with children with disabilities, which you and I know can be all-consuming and so very exhausting, what encouragement can you offer them? Like that, and, and maybe just when I say you're in, in, intimidated, like I know from talking to you, like, you know, that this is hard, this parenting children with disabilities thing. Like, how would you, how would you speak to them so that they're not like, well, Tara is nothing like me <laughs> when yeah. actually you've been I, through it. You are, <laughs> you know, um, yeah, don't be intimidated by it. I, for the longest time when Samuel was in uh, early intervention and preschool, I was intimidated by those that had letters behind their names and this long resume. And then I sat down and looked at the stack of books that I had to read in order to make sure that he got his occupational therapy and his speech therapy and his physical therapy and, and that we worked on social skills. And I looked and this, this stack of books was four feet tall. And I thought, you know, if I wasn't being a mom, I could have gotten a PhD as well. Um, I actually, for fun, took the practice test <laughs> for, for special education here in our state. So I thought, oh, and um, I thought, well, that was a piece of cake. Here's the reality. Don't be intimidated. You are the parent. You know your child better than anyone else. Don't let the thought of somebody being an expert intimidate you to believing that you are less than because you are not. You were chosen divinely to be that child's parent. Yes, it's hard. It is hard. Give yourself some grace and forge ahead because you were chosen to navigate the course to help that child become all that they could possibly be. Yes, you might have to call in some resources. And I got really good at that. 
when the occupational therapist, when we chose to do virtual school while I was fighting for that bill, that occupational therapist and that speech therapist came into my home. I sat down at the table with them. I whipped them up a nice fresh uh, cup of coffee. I offered them a snack and I asked them, can I take notes on everything you do? Um, I didn't know that I was going to need that information for later when I started the program at the school. And when all those certified teachers said, how do you know all this stuff? I said, I took notes. I did research. I worked with my son. I copycatted everything. And I asked permission. And those therapists, I mean, let's face it. We all love to share our knowledge. Every one of us love. I mean, you got some personalities in there that like to be the control freak. And I'm a naturally born type A control freak myself. But I love to help other parents. My goal is to say, I don't want you to suffer through this. Let me tell you what I did. Use what you can, file away what's not useful. Maybe you might pull it out later. So those therapists and those teachers, they love to sit there and tell me all the things that they knew. And they knew by meeting me that I was going to go and use it. And I did. So I tell parents, it is hard, but let's focus on what will come about of that hardship if you push through it. And like I said early on in the podcast, I look back now and I honestly went, oh my goodness, I never stopped. I mean, there were days of tears. There were days that I had to hit the mute button on the virtual IEP meeting because the things that were coming out of my mouth were not you know, worthy for anyone else to hear. And then I'd have to collect myself and get back on. There were times I hid in my closet and cried in a ball because I thought, I can't do this. However, I knew I was the mom. And I knew that my expertise of mommyhood was far greater than anyone else. And I would pull myself up and go, if I don't do this, and if I don't push ahead, no one else on this earth cares more about him than I do. So I have to do it. And you know, when we got to the other side, I'll never forget at his graduation, there's a picture of it floating around somewhere online. We were outside and he had walked and he had turned his tassel and I was standing there and I'm almost going to tear up talking about it. And I grabbed, I put my hands on both sides of his face and I looked at him and I said, Samuel, I am so proud of you. And he grabbed my cheek and squeezed it and he said, no, mom, I'm so proud of you. Yeah. That was like, oh my gosh, all of this was worth it. Like no amount of money, no certificate, no plaque could compare to the fact that my son could read and write. He can publicly speak. He made friends and he got along well with others and he had applied for and got accepted for a job. I knew he was never going to be a chemist or a doctor or a lawyer. And I didn't care because each one of us were created for something different and something unique. And so for me, pushing through those difficulties and those fight wars, it was all worth it. And I encourage you parents out there, it'll be worth it for you too. And there's there's others like us out there waiting and willing to help you in the process. Well, you definitely have helped me. I've definitely been one of those parents who've uh, cried probably after every IEP in my in my car when my children were at, at public schools. And I, I think I've probably cried while talking to you <laughs> while trying to navigate this. This is hard. Um, but yeah, let's, let's support each other and then let's have hope. My children are attending private schools that are a great fit for them. They get the support that they need. They get the structure and it's just like they're calm, disciplined environments mostly <laughs> and they're thriving. So there's hope out there too. All right. Our final question on the students over systems podcast is always, what is the school choice myth that bothers you the most and that you want to dispel today? Great. Well, I have I have many. However, my greatest myth that that just really bothers me is that um, children with special needs have to give up their IEP rights and um, they'll lose faith 
Well, yes, you do lose FAPE because FAPE stands for Free Appropriate Public Education. No parent with a child with special needs is going to walk away from a program that is actually providing the free appropriate public education that they desire. However, you don't need FAPE if it's not working and they're not willing to work with you to make it work. So the ability as a mom for me to say, you know what, I'm going to take his IEP because you do get to take your IEP and I'm going to go find a program that does work. You don't need a free public education if you're not attending a public school. The IEP is still a legally binding document and the goals and and, uh, resources on that document serve you well. That's one of the questions that you can ask the program that you're looking at. How can we work together to make sure that these services are met? In our case, in the state of Ohio, our public school got to keep part of that funding for my child because they were going to have to continue to write and sign off on every IEP going forward until graduation and then after. And so I found it really interesting to just build a bridge, work together. And because I was administering the program that my son was going to be going to, I helped out their director of special education in understanding the scholarship and how maybe my private little school program could help some of her students and how maybe her larger culinary arts or hospitality programs could help some of my students that couldn't get that service elsewhere. We decided to navigate together. So when people start putting up that fear piece, I say investigate, dive deep. But again, it's a myth. It's used. I heard it 20 years ago. I heard it this past spring. And I said, you know what? That's simply not true. So do the research and find out what is true so that you can get the best possible service for your child. Awesome. And don't let them throw a lot of acronyms at you that create a, a barrier to the to the truth, to the opportunity, and to the hope that education freedom can provide. Tara. Yeah, Terry, thank you so much for joining us today and for being my friend and for all that you do to champion and expand school choice education freedom options across the country. Thank you so much for having me, Jenny. We hope listeners, we know listeners, found today's conversation informative and encouraging. If you enjoyed this episode of Students Over Systems, please consider leaving a review on your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to share this episode with your friends, especially your friends with students with special needs. To learn more about the work of the IWF Education Freedom Center, please go to iwf.org slash EFC. Thank you for listening to Students Over Systems. Until next time, keep celebrating education freedom and brighter futures.